Trinity Baptist Church. Once I was an empty girl looking for love and fulfillment in all the wrong places. I was born right here in New York City, about 25 blocks from Trinity, 62 years ago. After my mom died one week before high school graduation, and thinking that wealth and fame were the answer to being happy, I pursued both. In college, as a dance major, I became famous on my college campus. Living with my boyfriend in college didn't fill the emptiness either. Then, at the age of 24, I married Bill Rose, thinking he would buy me happiness, and that in marriage he would heal all my childhood hurts and my growing emptiness. That did not work, nor did my retail career at Saks Fifth Avenue as a buyer, even bringing home a package every day. My husband used to tease that I paid them to work there because I brought so many things home. (laughs) Nor did giving birth to two beautiful and healthy children and the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom. None of these things fill the emptiness. At age 33, it all fell apart, and Billy and I separated. I returned to work to help support my family, leaving my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter at the top of the subway stairs right here at 60th and 3rd, sobbing, crying with a new nanny, a strange nanny. Then Jesus found me. He gave me a new heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. He gave me the free gift of a relationship with him and the promise that I would spend all of eternity with him. God forgave all the wrong choices I had made, sacrificing his only son, the lamb, on a cross. He filled my emptiness with himself. Through his word, as he took away my desire to fill myself with material things, promising that he would make my life abundant here and now. He restored my marriage, teaching me what true love really is. My children love Jesus, as do their spouses, and they are raising my four precious grandchildren in the Lord. Daily, God gives me the assurance that he alone satisfies the longings of my heart as he gives purpose to my life. My name is Vicki Rose, and I am new. A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Vicki. Um, Vicki, you, you are a gift to us. You really are. Vicki... Vicki is a prayer warrior, and uh, we can all use intercession. And uh, you may not know it, but Vicki is constantly lifting all of you up uh, to the Lord. And uh, I think we're benefiting in ways that you may never even realize. So, thank you. Um, we are um, in the ninth week of an 11-week series uh, entitled Relate. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at various uh, relationships within the Bible, uh, gleaning insights on what we could do, or in some cases what we shouldn't do, uh, in order to live out the most fulfilling life possible, the kind of life that God envisioned for us, the kind of relationships that God envisioned for us. And today, um, as you may have guessed by uh, the reading, uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham and the relationship that he had uh, with God, but not just with God, but also with his wife Sarah and his son Isaac. Now, Abraham and his life illustrates many of the major truths of the Christian faith. Uh, he's not perfect by any means, and if you looked at his entire account, you would see that along the way, uh, Abraham made some poor choices, made some mistakes. He, he was a sinner, he was a broken person, he was fallible, just like you and I. Um, but he emerges as an example of what it looks like to put one's faith and hope in the promises of God. In that area, he shines like perhaps no other in the Bible. Now, we meet up with Abraham in Genesis 22 after he has experienced the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. God had been faithful to Abraham. But then God asked Abraham for the unthinkable, the absolute unthinkable, to offer his beloved son as a sacrifice. Now, imagine this. Imagine if God appeared to you and asked you to give up the one thing that was most meaningful to you, the one thing that you loved more than anything else. With no explanation, with no rhyme or reason, he just said, it's time to sacrifice this. Would you do it? Could you do it? How would you know? Now, to understand the weight of what God is asking of Abraham, we need to go back in his history 
and, and, and take a look at how Abraham's relationship with God began and then how it developed over the years. Um, Abraham, then Abram, later God changes his name, first appears in Genesis chapter 11, where we learn that he is married to a woman by the name of Sari. And Sari is barren. Okay? She, she has not been able to have children. And they live with their extended family. Family in that era was incredibly important. Incredibly important. And they live in an area called Haran. Okay? Now, in the next chapter, in Genesis 12, the Lord appears to Abram and tells him that he is to leave his country leave his people, leave everything that is familiar to him and go to a land that God would show him and that God would bless him and that God would make him into a great nation. Okay, now for this promise to come true, uh, Abraham knew that he would have to have a son. You can't become a great nation without an heir. Okay, But there were a couple of obstacles standing in the way. First of all, when God appears to Abraham at this point in his life, he's already 75 years old. Okay, He's 75 years old, and as we just learned, his wife Sari is barren, or has been barren, and now she is past the childbearing years. But in spite of these circumstances, Abram believes God, and he does exactly as God commanded. He leaves His family, his extended family, which, as I said before, was incredibly important in that culture. He leaves everything that is familiar to him, the land that he knew, and he leaves for a land that God would show him. He doesn't even know where he's going, and yet he obeys. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if God came to you and said, it's time for you to move? It's time for you to move. And you say, well, where to? Don't worry about that. It's time for you to move. I want you to quit your job. I want you to take your kids out of the schools that they're in. I want you to rent a U-Haul. And when you get in the U-Haul, after having filled all of your possessions into the U-Haul, when you start driving, I'll tell you where you're going. Okay, now try explaining that to your wife. Okay? See how well that goes over. Now, in Genesis 15, the Lord comes to Abram again, and he he reiterates the promise that he gave to him earlier. Okay, now, the thing that you need to know is more than a decade has passed since the last time God appeared to Abraham with this promise. Okay, so now he's 86 years old. God has showed him where to go. He's living in the land of Canaan. But Canaan is this hotbed of activity. There's all these kings fighting for for the land and the rights, and there's wars going on all around him. It's not a safe place, and it certainly is not his land, at least not yet. He's estranged from his extended family. He has no land to call his own, and Sari and Abraham are still childless. Okay? So Abram asked the Lord. Actually, the Lord appears to him in another vision to affirm him and to, to uh, reiterate the promise is still valid. But in doing so, Abram asked God a couple of questions. 
He says, what can you give me, Lord? Because I'm still childless. Okay? Maybe his faith is wavering a little bit at this point. I know mine would be. And the Lord took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky, Abram. Look up at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Okay, so God is taking Abram outside. He's telling him, look at the stars. There are trillions of stars. And he says, so shall your offspring be. He's, he's reiterating uh, the promise. He's, he's painting a picture of the promise to come. And again, again, Abraham believes the Lord. And in Scripture, it says that God credited him as righteousness. He believes And God credits that belief to righteousness. And then the Lord says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know I will gain possession of it? How can I know? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought these things to him, he cut them in two, and he arranged them, or he arranged the halves opposite of each other, and when the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Then, as the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passes between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, now what is going on here? What is this cutting of animals in half and, and the uh, smoking pot? and the, What is all of this? Well, Abram trusts God, but he wants reassurance, and who wouldn't? So God both reassures him by pointing him to the stars for the first part of the promise and says, look it, you can't even count those stars, but I am guaranteeing you that your descendants will outnumber the stars that you can see. And then he does even better than that. If if God's promise is not enough, his word, he makes a binding agreement with Abram, a covenant. Now, in Abram's day... If you wanted to make a binding agreement with someone, um, what you would do is you would take an animal or animals, you would cut them in half, you would sacrifice the animals, lay the pieces out, and then both parties, whatever you agreed upon, would walk through the pieces as if you were acting out the consequences of not fulfilling your side of the thing that you had just committed to. Okay? You're basically saying... When I walk between these pieces, if I don't fulfill my part of the bargain, may what happened to these animals 
happen to me. So God shows up as this fiery pot, smoking pot, and the, and the firing torch. That's always uh, representative of God's presence. And God himself passes between the pieces. Now, it's interesting because Abram knew exactly what God was doing here. As soon as God told him to bring those animals, Abram knew to cut them and lay them out and set them up because he knew that God was doing uh, everything to set up a covenant on his behalf. Now, another thing that's really, really interesting about what's happening here is God passes through the animals and he makes this binding agreement with Abram. But did you notice that he never asked Abram to walk through? Now, what is the significance of that? If there was ever a covenant, both parties would walk through. Both parties would walk through because both parties had to uphold their side of the agreement for the blessing to take place. But God knew that Abraham, in his humanness, in his brokenness, in his sinfulness, would never be able to uphold his part of the bargain. And God wanted to bless him. So what God does is he walks through or he passes through on behalf of both of them so that he can essentially guarantee that Abram will receive the blessing that he has promised. Does this sound familiar to you? Do you think there's a theme in the Bible along these lines? You know, I did the math and it was about 2,000 years later that Jesus comes on the scene. And he does the exact same thing, not just for one person, but for all people. He has made a covenant with us. He's laid down the pieces of the animal and he's walked through. And knowing that we would not be able to uphold our side of the bargain, he's walked through for us as well so that we might receive all of the blessings of God. Now, in chapter 17, God reiterates his promise to Abraham yet again. Now, Abram is 99 years old, and Sarah, or Sari, is 90. Okay? Have you ever noticed that God's timing is not often our own? Have you ever noticed that? When you've prayed for something or asked God for something, or you received some sort of promise from God... It wasn't until Abram was 100 years old that that promise of a child was fulfilled. Abram and Sarah had waited 25 years. 25 years. Now, I am so impatient, and I admit this. I am just an impatient person. And that uh, translates into my prayer life and my walk with God, and it gets me into trouble all the time. I frequently pray to God for various things, and I wait about five minutes, <laughs> and then I say, well, I guess God didn't want to do that. Okay, impatience. Can you imagine waiting 25 years for something like this? Now, unlike us, God is not impatient. He's not impatient. He has all the time in the world 
literally. He is not bound by time or circumstances. Circumstances that would lead you and I to believe that there is a window of opportunity that is closing. And if God doesn't act now, it's going to be too late. God doesn't operate that way. So when Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90 or 91 years old, Isaac is born. Now you can imagine what Isaac would have meant to Abraham and Sarah. Okay, for Sarah, Isaac was the antidote for years of shame and humiliation. Shame and humiliation. In her culture, a woman's primary worth was tied directly to her ability to have children. If a woman was barren, it would have left a terrible stigma upon her. Most people would have assumed that because she was barren, there must be some sort of unconfessed sin that she was harboring, or that God had cursed her in some way. Okay, so for years, Sari is walking around with this heavy burden. And when Isaac comes, that burden is lifted. Okay, now for Abraham, Isaac would have represented the fulfillment of the promises of God after 25 years of waiting. The fact that Isaac finally arrived would have silenced all the lies and the seeds of doubt that the enemy most certainly would have planted in Abram's head over the years. I can just imagine, as I'm thinking about these 25 years of waiting on the Lord, how the enemy was constantly attacking Abram. You're a fool for trusting God. Can you hear him saying that? Can you hear the words echoing in Abram's head as he's wandering out in the middle of nowhere, isolated from his extended family, seeing the, how that's affecting his wife? You're a fool for trusting God. Just look at you. Just look at you, Abraham. Back in Haran, you had everything. You had everything. You had family. You had riches. You had honor. And look at you now. Isolated, drifter, no land to call your own, no child. When are you going to wake up and smell the coffee? There is no so called promise. That was a figment of your imagination. 25 years. But Abraham never lost sight of God's promises. He never lost sight of them. He never stopped believing, and God honored his faithfulness. Isaac was the fulfillment of all of Abraham's dreams. He was the joy and the pride of his life. Have you ever noticed that when you have to wait for something, wait and wait and wait, and you finally get it, it has so much more meaning. Imagine what Isaac meant to Abraham. Then in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to do the absolute unthinkable. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah 
and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Can you imagine how agonizing this command would have been for Abraham? What would he tell Sarah? What would he tell her? But in spite of his circumstances, Abraham gets up the next morning and he and Isaac head for the region of Moriah. If we were to do a quick recap of these interactions that God had with Abraham, it would look something like this. God says, I'm going to send you out, Abraham. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just go. Later, God says, I will give you a land. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. Then God says, I'll give you a child. And Abraham says, how? And God says, just wait. And then finally, God gives him the child, and he says, Abraham, kill your child. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Not only is God's timing not our own, but have you noticed that God rarely gives us the details when he calls us to something? We see this over and over in Scripture, and I, I, again, I sometimes get frustrated with God. Something happens in my life, I don't understand the circumstances, and I'm saying, God, you owe me an explanation. How does God respond to that? (laughs) Very rarely does the explanation come. Sometimes the things that God asks of us defy logic. They make no sense. They don't align with the plan that we have for our own lives. They don't align with the plan that we have uh, for our type of relationships. And the things that we're envisioning that we would do or where we would go or where we would end up. God didn't give Abraham any details. And yet, he obeyed. He trusted God and he obeyed. How did he do it? In Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the Lord. That's the secret that changed everything for him. It changed his relationships. It changed his destiny. It changed his legacy. It changed his relationship with his wife. He believed the Lord. You see, it's one thing to believe in the Lord, but it's something else altogether to believe the Lord. Okay? It's possible for us to believe in the Lord and not believe the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. Abraham believed the Lord and took hold of the promises that God had laid out before him. And as a a result, he experienced the kind of relationships that you and I would only dream of. He experienced the blessings that God had envisioned for him. And do you know that we can do the same? 
we can do the same. This is in here. This whole story is in here for our benefit. So that we can glean some truths from these passages and apply them to our current situation. This is relevant to us today. Now, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, that refers to the promise that God made to Abraham. And it says, God wants to make the unchanging nature of his purpose clear to the heirs of what was promised. So he, he confirmed it with an oath. Remember the oath? We who have fled to take hold of this hope may be encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. For, for Abraham, God's promises were an anchor for his soul. Now, what does an anchor do? And how does an anchor work? As a fun illustration, do you remember the show Gilligan's Island? Do you remember? Okay. Most of you remember Gilligan's Island. If you grew up in my generation, uh, Gilligan's Island was on TV every afternoon. And there were only four channels to choose from. And so chances are uh, you watched Gilligan's Island. And at the beginning of every episode of Gilligan's Island, there was a theme song that was sung that most of you have seared into your brain. You just may not remember. But do you remember? Okay. Do you remember the lyrics? I'm going to read them, and you see if they start coming back to you. Just sit right back, and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day on a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. (laughs) The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost the minnow would be lost, okay? See, and some of you tell me that you can't memorize scripture. (laughs) But somehow you have that embedded in your brain. (laughs) Now, why did I tell you about this? Okay, well, good question. In one of the episodes, and you may remember this episode, the skipper was perplexed because he couldn't figure out how they ended up getting shipwrecked because in the midst of the storm, he was sure that they had done everything right. And so what he did on this episode is he had uh, all those on the island build a replica of the SS Minnow to the best of their ability, ability, and they all were instructed to live out that fateful day, okay, as if the storm was coming in. Um, Everyone had to reenact their part, what they had done as the storm uh, was brewing. Okay, and in the chaos and confusion of the storm, they came to realize that Gilligan had thrown the anchor out, but he had forgotten to connect it to the rope. Okay. (laughs) 
Okay, and so that ended up being their undoing. That is why they ended up on the island. Okay, had Gilligan uh, connected the anchor to the rope, none of us would have been able to watch Gilligan's Island for all those years. It is critically important for the anchor to be set properly. Otherwise, you'll be at the mercy of the winds and the waves and the storm, right? Now, the anchor, when you throw out an anchor, it doesn't just hang down into the water. Because the water is is moving. There are currents. And if you just hang it down in the water, the boat is still going to drift. It needs to go down all the way to the rocks that are immovable. It has to connect to the rocks. So my question to you is, what do you put your hope in? What is your anchor? What is the anchor that you rely on when the storms come? In Hebrew, Paul is reminding us that God should be our anchor. He should be the anchor of our soul. Everything else is ebbing and flowing just like water. We need to anchor to something that will never change. Something that will never let us down. And the only thing that never changes, that will never let us down, are the promises of God. Some people place their anchor in relationships. Maybe a spouse or a child. Other people place their anchor into their possessions or their finances, their wealth. Some people put their trust in their talent or their looks. But none of these things can provide the kind of stability that we're looking for. All of these things are fading. No friend will always be there for you. No spouse will always be there for you. All the money in the world could be lost in a heartbeat. You could lose all your possessions. And unless you're George Clooney, your looks are fading as well. <laughs> George seems to get better looking with age. You know, I, I'm a guy and I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> but let me just tell you something. This past week, as I was thinking about all this, I read an article in the Post, and it was about how hair transplants have become all the rage. Apparently, uh, these uh, surgeries are up significantly, especially here in New York, between the advances in science and and the fact that there's no stigma associated with this surgery like there once was. Uh, more and more men are opting to get hair transplants, and that includes many of Hollywood's leading men. And then they had a list of several different men from Hollywood that had undergone these types of surgeries and pictures of them before and after. And then at the bottom, they said there is another list of people that they anticipated or they assumed had gone through the surgery, but they had no proof of it, and George Clooney was listed among them. So even George is fading. Okay, even George. You may not want to believe it, but even George is fading. 
the question is this. Do you want your life to be the life that God envisions for you? Or do you think that you can chart a course that's going to turn out better than what God has envisioned for you? Do you want the relationships that you're currently investing in uh, to be vibrant and life-giving? The only way that we're going to ensure that these things happen is if we trust God. And not just with some aspects of our lives or some of the decisions. We need to give God everything, all of our possessions. Everything that we have, all of our relationships, we need to give them to God. And then he will provide the stability that we're looking for. In chapter 22, it says, When Abraham reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it, He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. You can picture it. You can picture the knife above his son. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld anything from me, not even your beloved son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and he took the ram. He sacrificed it on the burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, here's the thing about Abraham. At any point along the way, he could have said no. He could have said, that just makes no sense at all. I am not, I'm not going. And he could have had a litany of excuses and reasons why, and many of them would have sounded really rational. But he didn't do that. If he had, it would have cost him everything. It would have cost him everything. He never would have known the blessings that God had in store for him. A.W. Tozer suggests that After that bitter and blessed experience, the words my and mine never again had the same meaning for Abraham. The sense of possession, which they connote, was gone from his heart. Things had been cast out forever. They now become external to the man. His inner heart was free from them. The world said, Abraham is rich. But the aged patriarch only smiled. He couldn't explain it. But he knew that he owned nothing and that his real treasures were inward and eternal. God had become the anchor of his soul. Let's pray.
Lord, we, we come before you, and we thank you for this incredible testimony of a man who trusted you in spite of his circumstances. Lord, help us to trust you with everything. Help us to see that there is nothing other than you that can provide the kind of security that we're looking for. Lord, like Abraham, we want you to be the anchor of our soul so we might know the blessedness of possessing nothing. Lord, we want our relationships to be vibrant and full of life. Lord, we know that only happens if we submit them to you. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.